You know, it's interesting because uh, I had two interesting questions before the sermon. Someone says, uh, do you have any more scriptures left after this morning's services? You know? <laughs> I said, yes, I'm quite used to it because of the fact in the afternoon service on these feast days, I never use, never, quote, unquote. I know more or less what, pe- what people will be using. So I try to skip those, you see. So I have new, new verses. And there are quite a few in the Bible I can find yet. So I want you to be using practically none of the verses you had this morning. Another question was, well, it's not pleasant to be speaking in the afternoons because half of the congregation is asleep. It's true. But I'll be speaking to the other half. So there's no problem at all. The rest you can just go on snoring, it's fine with me. <laughs> I was very happy to hear Mr. Crockett speak about the subject because he covered the basics. I told him, I said, you know, I said I would like to just have a new approach about this feast, about the sermon, because I've been preaching for almost 43 years on the deal of trumpets sometimes in Europe, sometimes here. Uh, By the way, I didn't know you were 38 years old, Mr. Crockett. I'm 50. (laughs) Yes, that's the 50th year I've been keeping God's Feast of Trumpets. Of course, the first year I did not know much about anything. And I listened to Mr. Armstrong preach, and, you know, he went on and on, and I said, I wish there were a trumpet, just stop him, you know. But it was interesting, but I did not get much out of it. All I got was, well, someone said in the sermonette, Happy New Year. I said, Happy New Year. And here we are in September, I guess at the time, they are wishing each other Happy New Year. Then later on I understood, yes, this was the Jewish festival starting in the fall harvest, which is not my subject, by the way. But happy New Year anyway. You know, to me it's interesting because of the fact the things which I was much most impressed in the early years in Pasadena were, or was rather, the basics. We covered the basics. At the college we covered the basics. Then the sermons we had time and again, we covered the basics. And something which some Somehow today we're not doing enough because of the perhaps events in the world, but I think it's nice for us to go back to the trunk of the tree in a way, the basics. Just what is this feast of trumpets you heard about so much? Well, before we go to it, let's get to the basics. In the sermonette we heard, why were you born? That's the basics. It's a basics because, yes, I would like to know, first of all, why I was born before I go any further in my studies. Then I remember Mr. Armstrong covering the basics as well, the kingdom of God and gospel. The gospel, gospel. I had so much in my mind about the gospel, the good news. Yes, I know. But it did not penetrate. Until this time, as I began to study more of the Bible, and I realized, look, There's one news in the Bible, which is the best news. And the best news is something perhaps you have never thought of it. If I say, what is the best news? I know the answer. What I have in mind is not what you have in mind. Okay? Because the best news is not what you think it is. You say, well, the kingdom of God and the Christ return. Yeah, I know that's all fine, but that's, that's simple. I want to be more carnal. What do you want most in life? See, that's more carnal. What is it that you really want to really achieve or have or accomplish? Suppose that I had the power to give you your wish. What would you ask for? See, there it is. You're just thinking, perhaps, finding the, the right answer. Yet Christ gave it to us. And that's my subject. 
My subject is a very basic subject, the kingdom of God. See, because of the fact, look, we are here, the day of trumpets, what does it portray? It does portray the Christ's return for what? To establish the kingdom of God on earth. That's basics. Well, you say, what does that have to do with you? But I wish. I'll come to it. When you study the Bible, especially the Gospels, you'll find many, many reasons Christ came for. If I ask you, name me one, you will probably give me three or four reasons, good ones. Christ came. But what did he preach mainly? There was a surprise coming. The Gospels, the four Gospels, they will speak more often than not, Christ was preaching the kingdom of God. Interesting, isn't it? We know it, but we don't realize that Christ did spend more time preaching the gospel, the kingdom of God, than anything else. I'll show it to you. Again, it did not answer my question, did it? What do you want in life most? Christ gave us the answer. Something we know by heart. In this sermon, I would like to cover the four Gospels. I could never take all of the verses about the kingdom of God because it will take me four or five sermons. But I will get highlights from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If we have time, perhaps the apostles, even Revelation. Speaking about the kingdom. Highlights about the kingdom because there are various subjects covering describing and telling what the kingdom is about. Because to us, the kingdom of God is sort of a, something, shall I say, far, far away. Come back to my question again. What do you want most in life? Christ says you will have it. You will have it under one condition. Matthew 6. Now I'm sure you, now you know it. Let's begin with that one because Matthew does speak about it. Matthew 6, verse 33. He says something we all know a bit by heart. He says, Father knows what you need, verse 32. But he says, you seek, first of all, he says, the kingdom of God. And, now here comes the rest. Of course, his righteousness, that's from God's point of view, God's righteousness. Once you seek the kingdom of God, then all these things should be added unto you. Now there it is. Therefore, whatever your wish was, Christ says you will have it. Provided that you first seek the kingdom. How can you seek the kingdom if you don't know what it is? That's the reason, I repeat, Christ came to preach the kingdom of God. You'll be surprised. As I go along with this sermon here, you'll be surprised how many different verses give a, a throw a new, new light or perhaps a very interesting light on the subject, what the kingdom of God really is. We don't pay attention to it. That's something we have lost, really. The college years, we were so eager to just know about it and we tried to Get back to the basics. And Mr. Armstrong certainly did help us to go back to the basics. The kingdom, the kingdom of God, and the gospel. That type of subjects. So here you, now we have an answer. Whatever I want, whatever I need, if it's good for me, if I seek God's kingdom and his righteousness, Christ does not lie, says he will be given it to it. What's the price? You know, we always want to know the price. Very simple. Again, let's start with Matthew. I'll take a few verses in Matthew. I'll give you the. Here, I'm going to get the subject and show the price of the kingdom. Either you're willing to pay or you don't want to pay. In Matthew chapter 13, I repeat, I'll take only a few verses in each gospel. Here, it shows you the price you must be willing to pay. 
And that's where some of us are not quite ready for. Therefore, we don't really seek the kingdom of God. Remember, whatever you want, if it's best for you, you're going to get it if you seek, first of all, the kingdom of God. Matthew 13. I will skip the parables because of the fact there are so many of them. And believe it or not, 99% of all the parables talk or speak about the kingdom of God. They pertain to the kingdom of God. You see, it's much more profound as a subject than you think. Check it. Most parables, I repeat, deal with the kingdom of God. How to enter. What are the conditions. Here, in very short, short parables, I'll take them in Matthew chapter 13, Christ shows the price, whether you're willing to pay or not. Verse uh, 44, Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven. Now here, let me just make a stop here. All of the Gospels, that's Mark, Luke, John, Treat of the, speak of the kingdom of God. Matthew speaks of the kingdom of heaven. I don't know why really. But the fact is that it's all the same. But Matthew very seldom, except that example I gave you, speaks of the kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven. So here you will find Christ referred to in Matthew, the kingdom of heaven. It says it's like a treasure hidden in the, in the field, which a man found and hid and for joy, look at this. You must really enjoy and know, and you will want it, and really desire with all your heart, and for joy says over, the, over it. He goes and sells all that he has, not part of it. That's where you and I fail. We and our, we just want to give something to God, but we want to keep something for ourselves, just, just in case. We don't know exactly what surrender means. You had the sermon about surrendering, submitting. Well, yes, you have to surrender. You have to be willing to give everything, if need be, for God's kingdom. Are we ready? If not, then you will not have that best, the best wish that you wanted to have. A bit further on, from verse 40, uh, 45, Again, it says the kingdom of God is, or heaven, is uh, like a merchant selling beautiful pearls. It's nice to have nice pearls, isn't it? Especially for women. So he says, who, when he had found one pearl of great value, great price, you know what, that's the top, the best of all. So what is, what is the price of it? Sold all that he had again and bought it. See, brethren, again, I repeat, that's where we fail. Therefore, are we willing to pay the price? First of all, let's go a bit further and find out what the kingdom is. I was talking to someone and we were talking about other groups that came out of the Church of God. They said, what is the difference really mainly with us? Well, believe it or not, the kingdom of God has a lot to do with it. The kingdom of God means authority. That's what the difference is. What is the kingdom? Again, I remember Mr. Armstrong. You know, he, when he had something in mind, he would repeat, repeat, and repeat until we got it, or we go, until we got tired of it. <laughs> so I remember so well. So the kingdom of God he says, first of all, you have to have a king. That's right. And he, just, he will define what the kingdom is. There, says, there are four elements. You know it. You have, I'm sure you have Read the booklet. The four elements are necessary for the for a kingdom or government. Kingdom, government, all deal with authority. First, you have to have a king or a ruler. Number one. Well, if you have a ruler, you have to have subjects. That's number two. So a kingdom must have a ruler. Secondly, subjects, and then, well, a territory, a place to put them. That's number three. And number two, number four was, and the legislation, or just laws. A king, subject, territory, and law. That was the basic four. You know, we took it for granted. 
But that's profound. First you have to know what the king should do, his jobs, and the subjects, what their responsibility is. And the territory, how much, where do we stand? And finally, legislation or laws. That's basics, isn't it? So once we have this thing, let's start getting through verses again here and there, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, and see more as to how the, the Bible defines the kingdom, the kingdom of God. Uh, after talking about the price we have to pay, Christ gave an example in Matthew, a man who was not willing to pay the price. Matthew 19. It's interesting because the man knew it. This could be you, this could be me, because of the fact, you see, we are dealing here with a man who was not ignorant as far as the kingdom is concerned. He knew what I was talking about. He was, this is a man who actually kept God's commandments. Matthew 19, verse 16. He says, good teacher, he says, what shall I do to, be, to have eternal life? Which is part of the kingdom, of course. Then Christ, as you know, gave him the Ten Commandments, part of them at least, the last six. And then the young man said, interesting, verse 20, Matthew 19, he says, I have kept all that. Wow. Now, I, I cannot say that. I try to, I do the best I can, but here is a man who has really kept all that. And Christ did not deny it. In fact, the same story is given in Mark, and Christ loved him. Christ believed it. Yes, they might have kept all that. So, after the masses have, what do I still lack? Verse 20, Christ says, well, I sell everything you have, follow me. The price was too high. See, the, this man didn't know quite Matthew 13 was. It wasn't given at the time, perhaps, I'm sure. But yet, his heart wasn't all the way in it. He didn't want to give up everything. He wanted to keep part of it. And you know, interesting, I won't have time, but I wish we could. Uh, by the way, the verses I'm reading, please read the whole thing yourself, because I'm not taking one verse out of the context, maybe. But try to hold, see the whole continuity. There's so much in it. After the man here was not willing to, he was sorrowful, in fact, verse 22, he was sad. Look, he, he wanted to know what the conditions were. When he heard the conditions, he was sad. Not too much. And that's what Christ said, verse 24. He says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Interesting, isn't it? Look at the almost the parallel, impossibility. So this man, whatever, therefore, was not quite willing to pay the price. Let me get one more in Matthew before we go to Mark. Matthew 16. Matthew 16, here we have also a reference to the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. This is when Christ actually was asking his disciples, who do you think I am? Or what people say about me, what I am? As you know, Christ inspired, or God's Spirit inspired Peter. And Peter told Christ, look, you are Christ, the Son of Man. Matthew 16, verse 16. Matthew 16, 16. What was Christ's answer? Verse 17. He says, blessed are you, says the Son of Jonah, for the flesh, flesh and blood has not revealed to you, but my Father. And then he makes a promise to him. Look at the promise. He says, whatever you bind on earth, he says, be bound. And whatever you loosen on earth, you'll be loosened and so forth. People, of course, take this verse and they distort, distort it. Let me make, explain this clear. No minister of God has the right to bind anything unless God does it. Or unbound anything unless God does it. We only confirm. So, you see, he said, verse 18, I'll give you, says the key to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. 
then of course he makes the promise of whatever should be bound and so forth. So I just want to make this clear. Because I've heard this in my ministry, what people say, well, you don't have the right to decide. No, we don't have the right to decide. But we, are, we have the right to see what God says about it. Then we just show you what God's will is. That's what's binding. God does the binding, and we only confirm God's will. That's beside the point. So he says, therefore, this was actually revealed to you by, the, by God. If you're really seeking for the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God, Christ will lead you, lead all of us, to actually, shall I say, understand the Bible better and better. All right, let's leave Matthew alone because there's so much here. Let's take Mark. Mark is somewhat different. Mark was not himself an apostle first. Matthew was. Mark heard about it. What Mark is writing is what Peter told him. And therefore he's trying trying to explain the whole thing from a historical point of view if you want to. But Mark is very precise. And Mark gives some ideas which to us be fascinating. Mark is the one who tells you exactly why Christ came. Straightforward. Mark chapter 1 verse 14. So, John the Baptist was in prison and so forth. And then, verse 15, The time is come, says Christ, and the kingdom of God is at hand. That is, repent, as you heard in the sermon, and believe the gospel. Those are the two conditions. Basics again. Again, I remember so well about talking about baptism. Mr. Armstrong would say, well, you know, the basics about baptism. Repent. And believe the kingdom. Believe the gospel. So that's what Christ spoke about. Let's go a bit further because we might know more about as to what is the kingdom of God is. In Mark chapter 4, Mark chapter 4, again I repeat, please understand, I'm taking out of context which because of time, but please read the whole thing and what goes before and comes afterwards. So Matthew, Mark chapter 4, verse 11. And he said to them, so he was talking about a parable, it is given to you, it says, to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. Now this is addressed to you and to me. We're supposed to know the mystery of God, do we? If we don't know, then of course we are missing something. So we should know what the kingdom is because Christ says, I speak in parable because you people know the mystery of God. But he says to those who are outsiders, all things come in, in parables. That's another truth about the kingdom of God. Lots of people in the world, they don't understand parables were not given to make things easy to understand. On the contrary. Parables were given, as Christ said, to hide the meaning of the kingdom of God to the people who were not called at the time. Again, that's not the subject. I just want to get highlights. Let's continue. Mark chapter 9. Another interesting verse. Because this, now we're getting into something almost new as far as the kingdom is concerned. Mark chapter 9, verse 1, and he said to them, Surely he says, actually to you, that there are some standing here, talking to his disciples, who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Now here's another verse again, which is perverted. Lots of people misinterpret. It's amazing how people can take one thing out of the context and take talk about immortality or sometimes he will never... I mean, all kinds of beliefs are based on verses like this. Right? What did Christ mean here? What did he mean that he is standing with some of his disciples? He says, some of you will not die until they see the kingdom of God. I repeat, I'm only giving you the subject. You can't just get the details. You know very well what happened. Christ showed them in a vision as you read the rest of the chapter, 
what it's going to be like. What he's going to look like. As you see described in Revelation chapter 1. The way he's going to look. So Christ is telling them, look, this is, that's the way it's going to be. And as you know, they came Moses and Elijah. The same account is given in Matthew and it clearly shows it was a vision. So people, they, they take this vision as being something literal. When you really understand this, Christ is giving you an idea as to the life it's going to be in the kingdom. People who died, they'll be resurrected. Elijah, Moses, and so forth. And in a way, he's speaking about the millennium. I'm just going to study the rest. I'm only, I repeat, I have to re- keep repeating. I'm giving you highlights because each subject requires a sermon here. Then we come to a very interesting passage here. Uh, I think it's yeah, Mark 10. Is this the one I have in mind? Yeah. There's something I have in mind because I remember Mr. Armstrong's statement. The Mark 10, let's start with Mark 10. Each verse is trying a light, clear light as to what the kingdom really is. Uh, Mark 10, verse, uh, is it verse 40? No, 13. Sometimes I don't, I cannot read my own handwriting. Don't laugh, it's very sad. (laughs) Ask my secretary, she will tell you. Okay, here, uh, here here we're talking about the kingdom of God, something very serious, very important. Imagine if we look, seek for the kingdom, all things are given to us. Here, all of a sudden, Christ is telling us also how to seek the kingdom. Now we know what the price was must be willing to give up everything. But, but here he, he comes to a different level, different approach. Mark 10, verse thir- uh, 13. So they brought to him children. So he will bless them, touch them. And the disciples were trying to just, you know, push them away. Christ says, no, says, let them come to me. For he says, for he says, It is for such is the kingdom of God. What in the world is this? Now here we have a different approach. In other words, to really be in the kingdom, you have to have the teachable mind, like like a child. Open, understanding. You have to be willing to accept and not to be stubborn in your own understanding. Of course, as children grow, of course, they change their minds too, but the fact is that the children are malleable. They are willing to understand. That's the reason why, says Christ, we have, to, we have to have that attitude of a child. It's interesting. Because of the fact, if you read the rest of the story, you will find out what it means. Humble, teachable, willing to change. And some of us are not willing to change, are we? Mark 12. Another interesting example. Of attitude. Mark 12. Another way of looking at the kingdom of God, what it is. Verse 28. So there was, scribes came to Christ, and most of the time they came to Christ not to learn about his teaching, as you know, or to know what the kingdom was, to just to corner Christ, to just try to find fault in his teachings. So here the man came, I don't know. Whether he was sincere or not, I don't know, but he asked a question. You know, interesting question. He said, which is the first commandment? Verse 28, or the greatest commandment. Now, I know it could be tricky, but Christ understood, and Christ again gave the answer in such a way that you and I, if we have our minds open, understand. He did not divide the first and the second commandment. He did not divide the two ten commandments into two. For him, the ten commandments are one. The first four about God, and the last six about relationship between men, it's all one. Because, as Christ says, if you love God, you should also love your neighbor. So you see, Christ combined the whole thing, despite man's question here. He said, here it is. The first is 
verse twenty, you should love the Lord with all your heart, with all your might, with all your strength, and so forth. That's the first commandment. And he says, see, goes on, verse thirty-one. The second is like it. What does it mean? Like it. Same. So, so he gave again the value of the two commandments. And there is no other commandment, he says, greater than these two put together. So if you're seeking for the kingdom of God, brethren, look around. Do you have enemies? Do you have people you hate, perhaps? Do you have uh, problems with your neighbor, with your family members? Then you are not seeking the kingdom of God. If you're going to seek the kingdom of God, you have to have these two commandments put together. You know, I've seen in my ministry so many people, friends, who left the church, and they gave me the same, shall I say, argument. Oh no, I'm not leaving the church. I, I love God. I'll never turn my back to God. I just don't like the people in the church. Well, there it is. Christ says if you're going to love God, you better love your neighbor too. Otherwise, you're pretending. You're not seeking the kingdom of God. Let's continue. Again, understand, this was the only parts or highlights of each I'm giving you here. Well, let's skip that. Let's come to Luke. There's so many more in Mark. Luke is also interesting because he, Luke has lots of parables. And every parable, I repeat, pertains to the kingdom of God. And Luke shows another condition as to seeking the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 6. Matthew said the same thing in different ways. What we call the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 20. Then uh, he lifted, Christ lifted up his eyes toward his disciples. He said, Blessed are those who are the poor, poor in the spirit, for, it, for, it says, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, there it is. What in the world is this? Check. You see in Matthew, you will see it later on in uh, Luke, I mean Mark. It's the, act, the, act, the attitude of humility. It's simple, like a child. You have to have a humble mind, willing to accept what God says, and not questioning it. Some of us will question God. Brethren, you are losing your time if you question God. Because our human mind does not understand God's mind. We accept what God says, and that's all there is to it. You don't argue with God. You can ask Him to explain, that's different. But you don't argue. Some of us are arguing with God. By so doing, we are not seeking the kingdom of God. Here Christ shows clearly that if we want to be blessed, if we want to have the kingdom to us, we have to, we have, to have a humble attitude. Back in Matthew, you will find in Matthew, uh, I guess, five, all of the Beatitudes and so forth, the sixth. But let's continue, because I'm going to come to a very important verse, which I want to be sure that I cover it, because that was the... The verse that Mr. Armstrong emphasized time and again. But let's first of all continue with Luke chapter 4. Yeah, I guess, let's go back to Luke, Luke 4, it's fine. Uh, verse, yeah, chapter 4, verse 42. Let's go back to verse 42, yeah, 42. Nice as it was the day, Christ departed and in, de- in a deserted place, and the crowd sought him, and so forth. And then, what happens? He said to them, I must preach. Now look at this. Preach what? The kingdom of God. I told you, time and again, you'll find Christ preaching the kingdom of God. People don't realize it. Part of the Beatitudes we saw, it's part of the kingdom of God. He's telling us exactly what the kingdom is, how to enter. Later on you will see what prevents you from entering. But he's preaching the kingdom of God. To the he says, other cities. He says, Christ says, I have to go to other cities to preach the kingdom of God. Because, look at this, for this purpose, I have been sent. Yes, he came for many purposes, many reasons. 
But she openly says, look, I came primarily with all the, not excluding the others, to preach the kingdom of God. That's why I say sometimes we neglect these basics. Christ spent the whole of the ministry preaching the kingdom of God with all the, the trimming goes that, that goes with it if you want to. But this is something we somewhat miss out. So he said that's the reason he came. All right, let's continue. It's hard to just try to where to stop here. Please, sometime, I repeat again, take, take all the verses in their own context and leave the, leave the whole in the, in the context. You will get much better idea. But let's get to Luke chapter 7, another aspect of the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 7, verse 20, 24. Here is another aspect of the kingdom of God. And, well, let's go back. What's right? Let's get to 24. It's hard to just get in the middle of the verse. Verse 24. When the messengers of John, John the Baptist, had departed, Christ began to speak to them, to the multitude, concerning John. Now here he talks about John and John's, John Baptist's mission. He told how John the Baptist was great and so forth. I'm skipping all that. And then he makes a comparison. He talks about what John was or had or will have compared to what we are going to have. Verse 28. Luke 7, 28. I say to you, he says, among all who have been or born of women, there's not, a, not, there's not one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, he who is the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Another statement. Take time and understand. Here Christ says, this is the greatest man on the face of the earth, John the Baptist. And then, if we are in the kingdom... Even the least of us would be greater than John the Baptist. Right? It gives you some thinking, doesn't it? Then it shows the value of the kingdom of God and also how much we must desire to be able to sell everything and seek, first of all, the kingdom. That's what Christ is teaching over here to us so that we get to know what the kingdom is. Now let's get this famous... I guess that's the one statement that Mr. Armstrong used to quote. It was so, in a way, hilarious. Because I, I, I you know, it was interesting the way he, he, he used to preach. The kingdom of God is not, he says, something in, in your heart. It's not in your mind. It's not imaginary. And then, of course, he would quote a verse that Luke gives in Luke chapter 17. Here again, people take a verse out of its context, distort the verse, they made it say something which it doesn't say. Now Christ is talking to, again, to people around him and his disciples. Luke 17, verse 20. He was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. Now, Pharisees did not understand what kingdom of God was. Pharisees understood what the Old Testament, quote-unquote, was understood, quote-unquote. They just knew the overall, but they did not believe in Christ's teaching. They did not quite understand what the kingdom was. Therefore, they could not even seek the kingdom of God, but they asked the question. So Christ answered them in a different way. He says, it's not looking around, you're going to really find the kingdom, but he says, verse 21, I say to you, the kingdom of God is within you. Wow, now there it is. Now we have, as Mr. Armstrong said, I just remember, I still can't see him. It is not so! Okay. So because people are, they don't make an effort. This is the King James I'm reading here. I fortunately have got taught you different Bibles, different languages. 
None of them says within you or in you. It says amongst you. In fact, if you compare some other the other verse, verses of the Bible, English, it says the kingdom of God is amongst you. Well, what does it mean? Remember we said, what is the kingdom? The kingdom re- requires the king. Subjects, territory, laws. If the king is with you, there it is, the kingdom is with you. Not in you, but amongst you. So Christ as the, as the representative of the kingdom, as the king himself, was among these Pharisees. Coming back to Mr. Armstrong, said, how could the Pharisees, carnal-minded people, how could they have the Christ in them, the kingdom in them? Of course they couldn't. Christ was not in their hearts. Christ was amongst them. And as the kingdom, as the king himself, was among them and preaching them. So at the time, of course, uh, to me it made sense. I understood this thing. But later on in my ministry, I will oftentimes see people mention to this verse, mention this verse, look, the kingdom, I believe in Christ is in me. Here's the kingdom of God is in, in my heart and so forth. That's a, a verse, as I said, I just cherished because I, I learned so much as to how you can distort the Bible if you want to distort the Bible. Okay, let's continue. I have to go back and look at him. Look at in verse 1. Another aspect of the kingdom of God. Night came to pass afterwards that Christ went through every city, preaching the and preaching and bringing the glad, look at this, glad tidings of the kingdom of God. He's not an aspect. You can't preach the gospel and be sad about it. You can't preach the gospel and say, oh my, I have to sacrifice so much. Because it's a good news. How could you have a good news and be sad about it? So the kingdom of God is its a joyful news. And some of us again miss the point. Yes, I must be willing to give up everything I have, but I do so with a joyful heart. Because it's good news. Good tidings. That's what we should preach, brethren. Yes, we have to warn people, but when we preach the gospel, we have to give the good news of the kingdom of God. Because something joyful. And people, of course, at the time, they did, I don't think they understood, but today we, in God's church, with God's spirit, we should understand what the whole purpose is. Let's continue. I'm giving you highlights, I repeat. I said a moment ago, why did Christ come? He said he came to preach the kingdom of God. Okay. He also came, of course, for other purposes, but he stressed the kingdom of God. And then, as he preached the kingdom of God, there were three main subjects he emphasized. I think Mr. Meredith mentioned that time and again. It's a threefold preaching. I guess 9 1, yeah. Luke 9 will show it to you partly. Luke 9, verse. uh, Two, Christ sent the disciples to preach the kingdom of God. Look at this again. He's not saying, I send you to convert people. He's saying, I'm sending you to preach the kingdom of God. And heal the sick. There's your second. There are three folds. First of all, you preach the kingdom of God. He told the disciples. To heal the sick. And then a little bit Uh, a bit later in this verse, and cast out demons. So those three parts of this mission we disciples of Christ will have. So as we preach the gospel, yes, we'll be able to heal the sick to God's power and cast out demons. I hope you're just getting a general idea. Let me take one more in Luke before we go to John, which is very interesting. Luke chapter 18. Here we have the same story of the rich man again. Maybe I should skip this one because same as Christ gave and he said that unless you are willing to give up everything. So let's skip that. Let's take John. 
John is interesting because John describes Christ's life unlike the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John speaks of Christ's divinity. The whole gospel is different. Whereas the others begin with Christ's uh, physical birth, sort of a biography, John takes the subject as Christ's divinity. John 1, verse 1. You know it. See, none of the other three start this way. When John speaks of the, of the kingdom of God or of Christ, it says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. That is, right away, he introduces Christ as being God, the whole gospel is being preaching about God and God's kingdom. Now, I have this in mind. I will only take one in the John because of time again. But here we have a different light on a spiritual level. In John chapter 3, something that the other disciples did not bring out. They told us what the price was, how we should go about, what attitude should be, we should be in. But here, all of a sudden, John brings out something totally new as far as the other Gospels are concerned. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of Pharisee, Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. Therefore, see, he's not just anyone. He was one of culture, understanding. He knew about the Old Testament. So he comes to Christ very politely, respectfully. Rabbi says, verse 2, John 3, verse 2. He says, we know that you are a teacher. And he meant it. As you see it, you will see. Came from God. For no one can do what you're doing and so forth. Unless he says, God is with him. Now look, the man is not asking a question, is he? He just... Telling Christ how he respects him and how he knows that Christ is able to do everything. All of a sudden, Christ gives a strange answer or a statement that is shocking because the question wasn't there. Christ brings the subject of the kingdom of God and he tells you how to enter. He says, I said to you, he says, unless one is born again, cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, there's a totally different subject, isn't it? As you know, today we have so many groups of people who are born again. There it is. They take this way right away because out of its context. Nicodemus was not ready for this answer. He didn't even ask the question. But Christ knew, of course, what Nicodemus needed. So he told him what it was. And... Nicodemus could not understand this. He says, how can I, says verse 4, a man be born again when he's old? Can he be second time go into his mother's womb? And Christ emphasizes again. Look, he says, I say to you, verse uh, 5, unless one is born of the Spirit. Now, now we enter another explanation. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. This again, brethren, it's all subject by itself. I, I won't enter it. But coming back to my memories of the Ambassador College, I just remember again, I can see Mr. Armstrong mention those verses. You know, he would explain what it is to be born again and his example of needle. Do you feed? Are you still flesh? Yeah, we're still flesh and born and so forth. But the fact is that he explained to us time and again and even today, some of God's ministers who turned away from the truth, they have, they have come back and they misunderstand what the Bible means here over here. Because some of the people who were with us, they believe in being born again. I'm sorry to say. Here is Christ showing that, look, the, 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 there's only one word in Greek, denau. Denau has three meanings in our modern English language. Genau could mean to beget or begotten. Genau can mean being born again or born. And genau can mean conceive. 
It's the same word. And I believe with all my heart, as Mr. Armstrong used to explain, unless you have God's spirit, you don't know which translation or which uh, definition to give. That's what it is. Once you have God's spirit, you know when to say to be born, when to say to be begotten, and when to say to conceive. That, again, not a vast subject. But once you see this point, you will know that Christ is talking here of a new aspect of the truth. To be able to enter into the kingdom of God, we have to, first of all, be begotten of God. We have to be repenting of our sins, being baptized, water, receive the Spirit of God, and that moment we are begotten of God. This is one major chapter in the Gospel of John, which is so much overlooked. The only time it mentions this idea of being born again. Because it's the only time John speaks very clearly the difference between being begotten and being born again by the Spirit, by through the washing in the water of our sins and being receiving God's Spirit. I'm again, I'm just jumping because I want to give you highlights. So maybe sometime we, one of us can give a whole sermon on this subject. So being born again is not biblical. Being born, being begotten is biblical. Christ is speaking here of being begotten of God. Then, step by step, if you look back and look, for instance, it shows about baptism and so forth. Let's continue. See, all right, let me take a few verses at least in the book of Acts and also the, some of the, perhaps, Paul's writings. Christ died and was resurrected. What do you think he did? What do you think after his resurrection, when he was talking to disciples, what did he preach? What did he talk to them about? You know, as I said, we don't pay attention to it. We, we forget the real meaning of the kingdom of God. Look, Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> right here we have Christ coming back after resurrect, resurrection. And says he also uh, presented himself alive after his suffering to many, uh, by many proofs and so forth. And by talking to them those 40 days, speaking, what in the world? Speaking of the kingdom, of the things of pertaining to the kingdom of God. Strange, isn't it? We haven't paid attention to it. We don't pay enough attention. Well, look, he's saying if you ask, seek for the kingdom, you will have everything you want. Therefore, when he came back after his resurrection, the first thing he says, he we preach things pertaining to the kingdom of God. The things we should do, the things we should ask for, the, the, our own way of living and fulfilling our mission. Because we, in God's church today, we are the firstborn. We have to also do the same thing. Preach the kingdom of God the way Christ did. That's our mission. That's our purpose. That was, that was Christ's purpose. He called us to fulfill that mission so that the kingdom will come soon. Let's skip again and come back to the Apostle Paul. Paul was interesting because first he hated the kingdom of God. He was a Pharisee. He didn't know what it was and he believed in the Old Testament teachings and preaching. And at that time the kingdom of God did not make sense. They knew the Messiah. That's a different story. Here comes Christ, the Jew, pretending to be the king of the Jews and so forth. Of course, Paul hated. At the time, as you know, Paul did persecute all the Christians. And finally, after his conversion, what did he do? What did he preach? Yes, he did preach the kingdom of God. Acts 20. I'm skipping. Here Paul is about to <clears throat> part with his friends, with his disciples. Acts chapter 20. So it's very, you know, read the whole chapter. It's so moving because he's telling them goodbye. 
But as he tells them goodbye, look, look at Luke's statement. Acts 20, verse 25. Indeed, he says, I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God. You see what I'm saying, brethren? We just don't realize it. This was the main message, preaching the kingdom of God. So you won't see my face anymore and so forth. Later on, let's skip again. Later on, when he was taken to Rome, a prisoner there, he goes to a new environment. What in the world did he preach? What did he tell the Jews or others in Rome? Act 28. Verse uh, 30, he was in a house as a prisoner. Verse 31, Acts 28, 31. He was preaching, Paul was, the kingdom of God. Teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus. You see, they go hand in hand. With all the confidence, uh, no one forbidding him because she was given certain liberty in, in Rome. So here we are. Paul preached also the kingdom of God. Well, I will go a bit for a few more. I guess so. But here, let me give you a few examples of Paul's writing about the kingdom. Each of them will throw another light, as to another aspect as to what the kingdom of God is. Look, brethren, we are here, the day of trumpets. What does it mean? Christ's return. For what purpose? To establish his kingdom. So you see, the kingdom of God and the Christ's return are just one. One truth. Though hand in hand. You can't have a better way of perhaps understanding of, of the day of trumpets unless you understand what the kingdom of God is. And you can't just talk about it. You have to live by it. That's what Christ told Paul to say in Romans chapter 4, 14. <clears throat> We have to be a light. We have to give the right example. I repeat, I'm just taking, please understand, take just one verse, but out of, not out of context, but consider what goes before and what comes afterwards. Here we're talking about certain, law, certain laws here in Romans chapter 14. And then Christ said, look, therefore I said, do not, verse 16, Romans 14, 16. Therefore, so do not take your good to be spoken of evil. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink. You know, see, that's important, but that's not the important thing. Pharisees always emphasize the letter of the law. The letter of the law is still there, but you still know the priorities. So Christ said, look, for the, the kingdom of God, the righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what we have to stress. Without doing, undoing the rest. Remember, the Pharisees only emphasized the physical aspect. And perhaps sometimes we have that tendency ourselves too. So Christ is saying, look, sure we have to keep God's commandments clean and clean food. But above all things, remember, the kingdom of God is not something you talk about. You live by it. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. That gives you a different aspect, doesn't it? And now perhaps I take a couple of verses here. Those who will not be in the kingdom. That's a sad story, isn't it? Yes, but Christ again, very clear, clearly, through Paul, through other writings, he tells you, those who will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will find in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, First Corinthians chapter six. Uh, again, I just had to take the middle of the verse, but I, I'm sure you understand. First Corinthians chapter six, verse uh, nine. So do, don't you know that? 
the unrighteous. Righteous is what God is, his character, his nature, righteousness. Now we're talking unrighteous, those who don't do what God says, who don't keep his laws, who have their own carnal-minded attitude. So the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's clear. Then it defines. Do not be deceived. It's neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals. Look at this. Sodomites, thieves, covetousness, drunkards, evildoers. Unless, of course, all of these people do repent. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's strong, isn't it? Again, the Bible shows very clearly what you should overcome to be able to enter the kingdom of God. Paul emphasizes the same thing in Ephesians. We think of the Ephesians of being the chapter of love, which is true, God's power, which is true. But then in the middle of this beautiful epistle, Paul speaks of, again, those who will not be in the kingdom of God. Ephesians 5. Verse 5. Ephesians 5, 5. For it says this, you know. No, again, go back, back to the same story, the fornicators, idolaters, or any, or covetousness, and so forth, has, will not, not have no inheritance in the kingdom of God, of Christ. Brethren, it is very fascinating to realize how much the Bible has to speak about the kingdom. How to enter and how to be kept out of it. It's a question of what you do, what I do. It's a question of willing to give up everything if need be. I remember time and again, Mr. Armstrong would say, look, God doesn't want to take away everything you have. But you must have the attitude of willing to give up if need be. Look at Abraham. God didn't want to take Abraham's son and kill him. But he tested Abraham to know how far Abraham would go. Abraham went all the way. But last minute, last second, God saw to it that the child would be spared. It's, that's normal. But you see, you have to have that attitude of wanting to give up all the way. And some of us, we don't get that point. Some of us, we have the sticking point. Oh, I don't want to go any farther. Just like that rich man in Matthew we saw. Oh, no. If I have to give up everything, the price is too high. Yet remember Matthew 6. You have to be wanting to give up everything. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Here we have, as you well know, the fruit of the Spirit of God, and then the works of the flesh, verse 19. Galatians 5, verse 19. The works of the flesh. And then, once again, Paul identifies. You can't read the whole thing. Murders, idolaters, all the whole thing. And then what do you say? Verse 21. I take the middle of it. Galatians 5, 21. I also told you, it says, in, the, in time past, which we saw, that those who practice and don't repent, practice, such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Brethren, it gives you a general idea of what it is. Here we have today a wonderful opportunity to be together as a family, God's people, keep God's feast of trumpets. When Christ will be on earth, and he'll be teaching all this to the people in the world. Today, the world doesn't understand those things. And some of us in, the, in God's church, we don't quite understand, we don't quite practice, we don't quite sacrifice. We don't quite, we're not quite willing to give up everything. I skip purposely because of time. Christ spoke of the kingdom of God and he said that there will be a big wedding garment. There will be all wedding dinner, supper. And he describes 
how you should be able to be ready to take that part of that supper. The whole idea, you see, is for us to be one day, one with God, be changed from what we are to what we will be. That's the preaching of the kingdom. The kingdom of God is for us to be from what we were, dust, thou art, as God says, then will be spirit being. The process of it is the seeking the kingdom and showing that you're willing to give up everything for that purpose. And step by step, by seeing some of the verses I give you in their context, you will find out how to really be ready for it. Because one day, brethren, what's going to happen, in closing, let me just give you one verse in Revelations, because I had Revelation in mind too, but at least give me one, I can give you one verse. Christ is showing that if we seek the kingdom of God with all our heart, then there's a reward for us. Something that we can all look forward to. Revelation chapter 5. We have preached this time and again, but on this special day of trumpets, let's review again. Revelation chapter 5, verse 10. Speaking about us, about you and me. Now we came out of dust. Now we are spiritual beings. And they made us, Revelation 5, verse 10, kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth forever. That's the message we have. But you see, brethren, there's a long ways to go for all of us, but we have to have the understanding, the desire, the will, and the confidence, the faith that God will honor his word. God does not, God does not lie. God tells us, look, if you seek with all your heart, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you will have all the things you want. So I hope we understand this wonderful truth on this day of special day of trumpets and live by it.